Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest installment of Technically Minded, a podcast brought to you by Credera. As ever, I hope all of our listeners are keeping safe and well and are excited to hear more about our topic today. Uh, For those listeners who are new to Technically Minded, we aim to provide an opportunity for colleagues from across our firm to come together to discuss business and technical problems we're seeing from a range of our clients and partners across the various sectors we work in, in the hope that our experiences and insights are helpful to you, our listeners. Uh, I'm your host for this session. My name is Matthew Greenhouse, consultant at Credera. And today, and as usual, I'm joined by three of my wonderful colleagues uh, in no particular order. They are uh, Kelly Jackson, management consultant in our business transformation practice. Hello. Uh, Rich Sutton, principal in our delivery practice. Hello. And Emily Richter, uh, management consultant also in our business transformation practice. Hello, everyone. Uh, so thanks very much for making the time to join us today, guys. Really appreciate it. Um, in today's episode, we're exploring what are the drivers to successfully delivering business change. Uh, as usual, we'll dive into the detail a little bit, uh, exploring what we mean by change, discussing some of the key benefits and key drivers to practically delivering successful change. And we'll also be able to apply a slightly personal lens to the conversation, having recently gone through a, a rebrand project ourselves from DNW to Credera. Um, so without further ado, we will get started by uh, discussing what change uh, means to each of us. So I think if I could come to you first, please, Kelly, just to kick us off, that'd be great. Of course, yeah. So um, if I had to define uh, what change meant to me, I'd say that it's um, uh, the transition from a current state to a future state. And that transition and type of change can be different. So it can be a change in people and the way that people work and think. It can be a change in process, data, technology. Um, and in that midst of that uh, various sort of transition of change, the scale and scope of change can also be very different. It can be a small incremental change or it can be a full business transformation and organisational transformational change as part of that transition. Um, but I guess despite uh, that, um, I actually think change is really exciting. Um, the biggest challenge that organisations have got is that change will mean different things to different people. Um, And the challenge is being able to manage what change means to people across a change programme. And that's one of the critical success factors uh, as part of that. I totally agree with what um, Kelly was was saying there. I think in simple terms, business change is um, the the act of moving an organisation from from where it is today. So it's sort of current state to to where it wants to be. um, It's sort of aspirational future state um, place. And that change can be relatively small. Um, for example, improving an organization's invoicing process to the opposite end of the, the spectrum to something that's completely transformative, um, such as creating a, a brand new product and um, service offering um, to ensure that it's keeping up with the competition. But the ultimate goal of any change management is to drive organizational results and business outcomes. Um, and to do that, you'd need to engage with employees and inspire them to, to adopt new ways of working. So when people talk about business change, what they really mean is is change management, um, which is the process that is used to ensure that any changes that are introduced are smoothly implemented into an organisation. And a major part of that process is making sure that the change is adopted by the staff um, and also um, external customers potentially who could be affected by that change. Um, And true business change is more than just a short term shift 
Um, it's the result of a, a structured and planned process to, to make the organisation more efficient and profitable, and that will take time. So some really interesting points actually you both made there. The the one that struck through to me uh, is that change we always talk about as being a really positive thing and done right. That's absolutely the whole point of it, isn't it? We, we don't set out on a bad path intentionally, but along the way with those stakeholders, we unearth, uh, we discover people's resistance, people's uh, nervousness. And there is that aspect of change we really need to understand and embrace. Uh, it's the, the fear of something different. Uh, it's upsetting the status quo. It's the people for whom actually this this is kind of working. Why why do I have to go through this? And that's as much it's the the yin to the yang of the whole change process. It's something that I find to be a really important bit to focus on up front. Uh, you can be accused of being a pessimist when you start looking at that sort of thing. Like now, can't let's get excited about the vision. Let's let's think about what's going forward in the future. But having the conversations with the people who in reality, probably know the business far better than we do and finding out why they're nervous and getting that intuitive insight so that it allows us to mitigate it in the future uh, or to maybe actually reassess and say look, the, the change that we're biting off um, is too big a change. Let's do this incrementally. And uh, Kelly, Emily, you both mentioned that point around uh, scale being transformative or being uh, incremental. I think once we've got that um, that understanding of what the right size that we can achieve is, that makes things so much more successful. So that point there about the change then, uh, it's being the, the positive and it being the disruptive elements and the two go hand in hand. I think um, you, your point there, Rich, is absolutely spot on around identifying resistance to change. Um, you can often find that organisations want to go straight for the advocates as part of a change programme to help cascade change through an organisation. Um, but what we've seen work really well in the past is that actually targeting individuals that you know will be more resistant to change or will be the ones that maybe take longer to adapt to the change process. They're actually some of the critical ones to start engaging at the start of a change programme. Um, and it's fascinating when organisations do that well, the sceptics and the ones who are more resistant to change actually become your advocates. Um, and before you know it, the resistant ones are, are telling all the rest of the resistant ones, say, oh, get on board this change. You know, it's actually really good. This is what it's going to mean for you. And um, so the ability for a, an organisation to manage the sceptics and get them to the front of the boat and also have the advocates in place is a, a real hard challenge to, to achieve and also balance. But when you do it right, gosh, reap the benefits. I think there's a, a really good point there around those sceptics. Generally speaking, those people are the hardest to, to steer around. So when their peers see that that person's a convert, they have that faith that they're, they're clearly there's something in this. We've got to listen in. And that can be really powerful. Yeah, and it's also about just understanding, working with those individuals who, who are resistant to change or appear to be as to why why they are resistant. What is it that's fundamentally um, unsettling for them um, by giving them the time to understand the benefits um, of the change, what it will mean for, for their individual role in their world, uh, etc. Um, will, will definitely help to provide the clarity. Um, I think a, a lot of the resistance is often because they're unsure of the unknown and the direction that the organisation's going just hasn't been communicated clearly to them. So I think just spending some time with, with those individuals to, to reassure them of, of what's coming um, is a real um, good way of, of getting them on board. 
so I think that's a, a really good point there, Emily. Um, the idea about getting them on board, and sometimes it's people can be glossed over. There are people who feel that they're on the margins, and spending some time with those people to genuinely listen to them. What is your concern? Why are you worried about this? What does that mean to you individually? What does that mean to the organisation? That's time that's well invested. And it's something that um, as agents of change, we tend not to do as much as we should. So as a uh, piece just in the back of my mind constantly is, have I brought people on? Do I understand the individuals? Could I walk a mile in their shoes and get where they're coming from? Perfect. Thank you. I think um, you all kind of touched on it a bit as well, is that if you take the simple definition of, of change or change management as moving from one state to another, we all know it's broader than that. And I think that in itself can create some of that fear as well if people don't you know clearly understand what it is because it can be such a broad topic um yeah it, it's something you need to kind of uh, get on top of early and i think you know we've all kind of seen that in the, the different clients and sectors we work with so um yeah great thank you so again as always with these podcasts it started off with some really interesting stuff i think as we've touched on what it, what change means to us um i think it'd be great if we could kind of dive into discussing some of the key themes behind ensuring that when we are delivering change it is a success. Um, so I think just to kick us off again, could we go to you, Emily, please, for this one? Yeah, sure. In my view, I think there are there are a number of different drivers that need to be in place to, to ensure successful delivery. Um, these can include a clear, well-articulated vision um, of the change that's coming, um, which is often supported by a compelling business case. Um, an organisation also needs committed and dedicated leadership um, that's on board, understands the change, the benefits that it's going to create um, to cascade that change um, right down into the roots of the organisation. Um, another driver is well-informed stakeholders with clear communication to, to those individuals as to what the change is going to look like and how it's going to impact them. And also, importantly, an organisation that's ready and willing to make the change. So when we talk about defining the vision um, up front, so before undertaking any change, a business needs to, to have a clear and valid vision, objectives and benefits that it's looking to deliver from, from the change programme. And it's also important for the leadership team to, to start with the end in mind, and then that helps to, to make plans according to the organisation's overall strategic goals. So once the vision has been agreed, then it's a case of um, sharing that with the rest of the organisation. And the final thing I think is important is um, evaluating the, the change programme. Um, so as we said before, it's a journey throughout um, the change programme and understanding how organisations are reacting to that programme should be evaluated um, at any opportunity. So whether it's measuring KPIs or asking for feedback from staff or the change champion network, which we'll get onto shortly, um, it's important to understand how that change programme is being received by the organisation. So to follow on uh, from Emily, I think you've you've raised some cracking points there. Um, um, I guess the ones I'll I'll home in on um, sort of key success factors for for change. I think have to be focused on the phase of embedding change. Um, so what I mean by that, if I think of the the top three that spring to my mind is around giving people the skills to adopt and embrace the change. Um, reinforcing the behaviours that an organisation wants to instil for the long term um, and then driving that continuous improvement as the change programme goes, goes on to be delivered. 
Um, so I guess just to elaborate on on the skills piece, which um, I think you you touched on just previously as well, um, you know, you, you find particularly with technology transformation programmes that individuals will think, oh, great, you know, we've got a new solution coming on board. That's what the change is about. But organisations can often um, miss the, the training needs analysis of individuals across the organisation for adopting that new tech. Um, and they can think, right, once it's implemented, that's it, people have got what they need. But there's a whole uh, piece around successful change being around giving people the skills that they need to A, adopt the new technology and B, make it last within their ways of working. Um, and I think with that, um, th there's a big focus on uh, leaders also supporting that change. So how do they encourage, coach, challenge uh, sponsor what that change is going to look like and how individuals can uh, adapt it into their ways of working. Um, and then the embedding bit, so the second key driver um, is making sure organisations reward what goods looks like um, and making sure that those behaviours for adapting to change is embedded into the wider organisational development framework so that that's there for the long term and individuals know what success looks like for them and their performance once the change has been implemented. And then closing that window with continuous improvement, I think, is a third final key driver um, in making sure that, similar to, to what Emily said, uh, we're gathering feedback from individuals throughout the change. And once it's implemented, we're driving those final improvements um, to take people on the full journey uh, right up until the end. So there's some really um, interesting points there. The, the vision one, I think, is the critical thing for me. Uh, I've been involved in a number of programmes over the years where... Uh, maybe they've been an emergent program and there's work already going on. Somebody has uh, convinced the the powers that be, the budget holders, that we should bring all this work together and has got approval on that, only to then find you've just got a disparate bunch of projects and initiatives taking place all loosely coupled under one banner. And you never really get change at that. You just get uh, incremental chipping away at things. And sometimes you can be pulling in opposite directions. Having that sense of unity and common purpose, I think, is just really, really powerful. So Emily, completely on board with that. I think it also decomposes into uh, some other things you can do to help run that change initiative. And the big one for me there is empowerment. By having a nice, clear vision that sets out the end state in a way that's meaningful to everyone, it's broadly meaning the same thing, but is flexible enough that they can interpret their piece of the world in their way that they're a specialist so that it all can come together and you get the best of all the parts. I think that could be really powerful. Uh, so some of the stuff we did on the rebranding program, for example, uh, being really clear to identify who the work stream leads were that had their own fiefdom that they were the experts in and were entirely trusted. It was their call to define the end state. It was their call to define what the plan was to get there. Uh, they then had the accountability to make that happen. So that's also a nice rich pairing between you said that how we're going to get there. You said where we're going to get to over to you now. And then as the, the lead of that, it's really my role around supporting them and, and I guess challenging them as well. Sometimes um, people will see the change as being something that's easy to achieve, but it doesn't necessarily deliver that value. And just by pushing them to think bigger and to really uh, expand the boundaries in the envelope of that, that can be quite a, a neat trick. Net result being that you've got all those disparate threads being pulled together into the one end vision and you get something really quite powerful where the, uh, the parts are far greater than the, uh, the sum. I think the, the theme that kind of keeps recurring or going through that is that it's there's a subtle difference between change being and, and kind of enforced on you and you being brought along a change journey. 
um, you know, you can communicate well, you can make sure people are, are aware of the plan and the aims and visions, but, you know, there's a sort of difference to making sure they're involved and immersed in it. And like you said, rich, empowered, um, feeling like they're part of that journey and they're influencing it. It is, can be a subtle difference, but um, yeah, it's it's a big difference. And on that point around the uh, the vision that, that is what binds people, again, we focus a lot on what could be the future, the excitement and this sort of thing, which is really important. There's a dimension as well, which is the what would happen if we did nothing? And part of that to just ignite that burning platform, that can be a really great way to get the energy into an organisation. All too often we will fall into a rut and I'm sure we're all guilty of it as any of things are fine. We're just we'll continue as we are. But if we were to stop and evaluate, we'd probably note that, you know what, there is either a path that we're on that means we will have to do something in the future, or actually maybe it's not that peachy at the minute. And being able to do that piece where you can just I said, identify and ignite that burning platform, that can be really a good call to do. I think you're absolutely right there, Rich. I think there's, you know, a critical thing around creating a sense of urgency for change um, and that burning platform um, forming that through an organisation can actually be really tough, but it relies on the capabilities of leaders to be able to set that burning platform alight and make everybody that works below them believe in why that change is happening, why it's important and what it's going to mean for the success of that organisation and for them as individuals um, and there's often quite a rare um, degree of leadership in, in that quality as well that you see across organisations and we often think right we need to invest in the individuals that are going to be impacted by the change first but leaders creating that sense of urgency and a burning platform is one of the first things um, we'd be saying that an organisation needs to invest in absolutely. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. I think we've we've covered quite a few different kind of themes and key drivers there. So rather than uh, it being a new talking point, if we expand that one just slightly to discuss some of the ways they can be practically uh, utilised or, or practically put as part of a change management um, project or programme, could I come to you, Rich, just to start us off on this one, please? Yeah, sure. So for me, it's all about priorities. I think the getting a sense of what the things we can do which will have the biggest impact and have got the the lowest risk of going in that's always a focus to have throughout the the journey as you go through hopefully you'll find that you've got a lot of hanging fruit and you're starting to get some of the more complicated bigger but higher impact pieces and still having that mindset of okay how can i decompose this what are the pieces of this that are really valuable and what are the pieces of it which maybe are just uh, ancillary consideration that can be a really important thing to do and part of that will come down to the culture of the organisation you're in uh, and of the styles of the individual you're working with. In some cases, people will be um, very risk seeking. You know, they want the big rewards and they understand that to do that, you can't, you've got to speculate to accumulate kind of style. There'll be the converse of that where it's very risk averse uh, and it's all about measured, well understood. I don't want to do this until we've really discussed it and I've got a committee agreement on it. And you see that in different industries, you see that in different um, organisations um, around the world. Uh, the interesting um, tool that I would say is, is good to use there is around experimentation. I think having the, uh, the small group that you can get together on an idea and trial something in a way that's very cheap to fail, but also very quick to fail. And at some of the points we've discussed previously around that constant 
exploring and retrospective perspective of what you're doing and understanding did that work how did that struggle that can give you a lot of learning so you can do one of two things you can either look at decomposing the risk so that you've got a better understanding about yes i can deliver that more easily now or get uh, a better articulation of the value of the thing you're doing through that experiment and ideally coupling the two so that you've got an understanding really quite clearly about okay here is the prize and it goes back to that point around the organizational energy and about getting people fired up. If they understand what it is they're going for and they're all bought into it, they'll probably push harder and further. And then understanding the cost of that, where the risks are, uh, you can then carve those out and you can look to de-risk them. You can break things down so that that's a discrete chunks so that if that fails, then you can back out very easily. The combination of those two, I think, is a really powerful thing so that those priorities you've always got in mind allow you to take things forward at the at the fastest pace the organization and the individuals in it can handle towards a goal that they think is valuable. Yeah, to echo uh, Rich's points there around identifying the risk and the impact of change, I think one of the, the first tools that organizations need to use before they, they sort of embark on a change journey is actually a change impact assessment. Um, so organizations can assess that current to future state and look at each of the components of the target operating model within that. So people, process, data and technology. Um, and within a, a change impact assessment, when it's done well, you look at each of those components and assess the impact of what change is going to be across each of those and the severity of what that change is going to be. And as a result of that, if organisations do that right up front, you can already start to identify some of the change actions that are going to need to be put into place throughout the change programme. But you can also identify the areas within the organisation that are going to need more support or more investment or have higher risk um, as part of that change programme. And so I'd call out that as one of the, the key tools that organisations can start with right at day one uh, before starting on the change journey. Yeah, completely agree um, with what, what Kelly and Rich have both, both said there in summary. Um, I think another aspect um, is looking at the leadership that's in place. So from the highest levels of leadership to, to those that are on the sort of front line, um, an entire system of people within that organisation must support employees through the, the change transition um, and these roles typically are those such as a key sponsor, leadership teams, um, a change network and also project manager. So a sponsor's role is essentially to contribute to the successful change outcomes through encouraging um, the, the staff to adopt the change. They must be able to build a, a sort of coalition of, of support. So a group of leaders and influencers and managers who will be able to work with their own departments to really encourage and excite people that this change is coming and what it's going to mean for them um, and then those will need to directly communicate with with employees so employees really want to hear and understand that the business reasons for the change from someone at the top so sponsors need to communicate support and and kind of promote the change to that impacted group they would be also be able to help coach um, employees through this transition um, as there's someone that they're comfortable to be working with um, and this is something that leadership teams are often tasked to do. And then building the change network. Um, this is probably one of the most valuable tools at, at the disposal of a change management consultant. Um, and this should be introduced right at the start of any change programme. And when it's stood up properly, this group of, of individuals can really make the change effort a success in, in so many different ways and also lead to sort of sustaining that change throughout the organisation. 
So things like the person that you nominate for that role and that will fulfil that role needs to be carefully thought through. They should be given appropriate training to provide them with the skills and the information that they will need to enable them to perform their role. So there's some uh, interesting points you make there. I think that point around uh, mobilising people and energising them and empowering them is really, really quite important. The the notion of being able to keep interests aligned, I think that's a major piece for any change agent just to be able to to juggle what's potentially very disparate interests. Party A wants to grow their part of the organisation. Party B wants to grow theirs at the expense of Party A. But overall, you need them both to be able to play nicely so that the organisation can benefit. And that's a real skill. Uh, I guess it comes back to some of the points we touched on previously that not playing people off against each other and just building that sense of trust both in yourself but in each other being really open having them appreciate that you understand them and that you're interested in continuing to understand them uh, it's making sure that you're not dealing with them transactionally that you are giving uh, before you're asking it's doing the spontaneous things that you think would help them out and as you build up that that bank of credit really uh, that's a really valuable resource to go to when the times are tough and you need to uh, drive through a quick decision say or there's a decision which will require somebody to make a bigger compromise than the other if they understand that the culture that exists on the initiative is one of mucking in and helping out and that precedent has been set and demonstrated again and again that can be really really powerful Uh, we found that through the the recent rebranding program that lots of different parts of the organization wanting to succeed and facing some fairly big challenges in terms of how they change thankfully we've been uh, lucky with an organization and with the culture where everyone is keen to muck in but you still get those uh, little frayed edges where were it not for the relationships that you've built up through the earlier parts of the program you find you've got a real tricky situation and escalations and having to go through the numbers but by working together in advance that can make a really big difference I think just to to follow on from that as well, I guess two additional uh, tools to call out would be a communication strategy and training strategy. And so Rich and Emily, I think you you both referred to this really in in sort of your previous comments. Um, But there's a real sweet spot between um, having a delivery roadmap and a change roadmap that works in tandem. Um, And the communication strategy and training strategy are two key tools that can actually help delivery and change uh, progress at the same pace in in a transformational programme. And as you rightly say, Rich, maintaining um, sort of the interest and desire of individuals throughout a whole change programme can be really challenging. You know, we've got to be really innovative in getting hooks with people and making the change engaging. Um, But just a a dead simple way that organisations can do that is just start by creating that awareness right up front, creating that interest for change and helping individuals to know what it means for them, give them a part to play and a desire to be part of the change and then give them some action at the end for how individuals across each level in the organisation can get involved and the ability to manage that and the execution of that alongside the delivery um, is one of those key things to to guarantee the success of change I think. Completely agree. I think there's a there's always an interesting piece there. You can you can plan. Reality may have a different view of how things are going to play out. And that point around keeping the momentum going is a really critical one. Uh, all too often we've seen cases where you have the intent on building to a crescendo and it's going to be great and everyone's going to get re-energized and behind it. And then something happens. We had a period um, 
a few months before the go live where we took stock on when we thought we could go live and concluded that we probably needed a couple more weeks of room just to get it right. We took that decision and just as we were starting to commit to that uh, through the, the COVID uh, situation, we had a lockdown and we're then faced with a really tough call. Do we delay the proceedings by two months? Because that's what it'll take. Because we've got key people who are hit. We've got the organisation just isn't in a position for change because everyone's going to be so busy. Uh, or do we press ahead and hope it'll work out? Uh, and that's just two very conflicting views. Now, in the end, the decision we took was that we can keep people motivated enough. This is a big enough thing. We've laid the groundwork on this. We've got great people in the roles to be able to keep the energy there and keep things um, simmering over. That we were able to take that uh, two months staging on the go live so that then when we came back up to that final couple of weeks ahead of the um, the big day we could just turn the taps on again and gradually pick it up uh, so that we hit that same crescendo despite having had that enforced external factor uh, bringing it to a bit of a pause but otherwise just keeping that momentum going is a really critical part of it. Yeah and going on from what Rich was just saying then it's, it's important that you're clear if you do make those decisions what the repercussions will be for the organisation who are already set. They've got the plan, the roadmap in their their mind. And for whatever reason, um, in this case, lockdown had come away, then it's obviously going to have a, a knock on effect, a snowball effect of, of what needs to be done. Um, and key individuals that you're relying on um, need, need, need more time. Um, so I think just communicating that people would completely understand the reasons why you can't just stick to, to a plan. Things do change and crop up. So it's just being agile and being able to adapt I guess just a, a closing comment from me on, on that as well. It, it goes back to what we were saying with the change network, doesn't it? So, you know, through change, although in an ideal scenario, yeah, you'd have your delivery plan lined out and your change plan lined out and it all runs swiftly with, with no sort of bumps in the road. But the change network, as, as Emily, you were previously saying, they're one of the most critical tools to be in place because as we go through the change journey and bumps come up along the road, it's about organisations empowering those within the network to say, this is what the change scenario looks like. We know that this is going to impact our journey for X, Y, Z reasons. How do we best land that uh, change within the organisation for the next phases of, of the programme? And having the trust and the empowerment within that network to help make those decisions and help maintain that momentum when there are bumps in the road. Um, I think that is one of the most powerful tools to be using, but it is down to leaders to use that tool effectively and trust and empower them uh, along each step of that journey. It's really interesting how, well, it's a, a theme that's run through is communication. And obviously there's so many different ways you can communicate. You know, if you think of communications, a lot of people will think, you know, a newsletter, emails, updates. But, it, you know, I think you've all mentioned individually, it's, you know, maintaining relationships, building relationships, especially if you think larger organisations where you do have completing interests and priorities. It's just as powerful and just as, as key to, to you know, getting over those bumps in the road that you alluded to, Kelly, as well as making sure it's communicated to the, the wider audience and the stakeholders. Um, yeah, it's it's you can see why it's such a key role and why, like Emily, um, I think said as well, it's so key to who you put in that role and it's something you should really consider. Um, brilliant. Thanks, guys. So um, I think it's obvious a benefit you would see from a successful change is that you, the transformation on the change program completes, which I think we can all say is one that's fairly obvious. But I imagine there's other sort of hidden benefits that we could talk about and discuss. So um, 
I think that would be a good next talking point to dive into. Could I come back to you, Kelly, just to, to talk about some of the benefits? Of course you can. Um, so I guess I'm going to keep with the theme, actually, of us talking about behaviours and unlocking and empowering people. I think when change is landed right for an organisation, one of the sort of hidden benefits is actually the culture shift that comes as a result of change being managed well and embedded effectively into an organisation. Um, if I reflect on um, sort of some of our, our previous clients that, that we've helped in this space, um, you know, you can see that a new technology is put into action, but the way that individuals have to think, work and act in using that new solution, there's actually so many hidden benefits behind um, the impact that that means to individuals loving their role more because they're more productive, they're enjoying a more effective solution. So the way that they think, work and act changes. Um, but it can also really shift the culture that underlies all of those individual behaviours. Um, and as a, an organisation sort of builds the, the capability to respond and adapt to change, as individuals shift their thinking and working and acting, there's actually a huge benefit around being more agile and adaptive and responsive to change as a result of, of those behaviours that come uh, from change being managed well and fully being embedded into an organisation as well. Yes, completely agree um, with what Kelly was um, just saying there, that benefits of, of the change um, can be enormous. So managing and helping an organisation to change is is hard, it's challenging and, and very difficult. Um, and this is evidenced by the fact that 70% of all transformation programmes fail. Um, so failure to introduce effective change um, can have a high impact um, on, on an organisation. So, for example, they could lose their position in the market, um, they may need to remove the senior management team or, or lose stakeholder credibility as, as well as losing um, employees. So there's a lot of knock on effects um, that will happen if change isn't um, embedded. So when change is, if we flip it on its side, um, introducing to an organisation um, successfully, um, then there are a lot of benefits that can be reaped. So if we look at it from the organisational level. Um, the benefits of introducing change successfully could um, result in an organisation being able to respond faster and quicker to, to ever-changing customer demands um, and provide more of an effective service to, to customers. I think organisational effectiveness and efficiency is important, uh, and this can be improved by acknowledging the concerns of staff that, um, that have been deploying change management. Um, and employee performance, productivity and staff morale will, will increase um, because they felt supported during that change programme and, and understand the change process. And this all um, comes together in, in quite a, a bigger benefit for an organisation is developing an internal change capability, um, which is, is key for future change that comes. And then looking at the benefits of change management for individuals, Effective change management will support a smooth transition from the old ways of working that individuals are comfortable with to, to brand new whilst maintaining staff morale and productivity. Change management also has an, um, a positive on improving cooperation, collaboration and communication with, with different levels of the organisation. So you may be expanding your network because you're, you're working with individuals that you hadn't done previously through having gone through a change programme. Um, and also another benefit is it will help reduce stress now that individuals have gone through a change of initiative. Any anxiety that they'd had previously will be eradicated because they've gone through it. They've come through the other side 
Um, and it will also encourage people to stay loyal to the organisation that's managed to successfully um, embed change. There's an interesting question actually about all of the stuff we've been discussing here, which is, uh, does change ever complete? And I'd argue that it doesn't, that change is a, a constant thing. It's an initiative cyclical um, activity. And you can probably break that down into a couple of areas. The sort of talking about the benefits, there's one there which is around mindset. It is that point around there's a, a reinforcing nature. It's the positive feedback. Success begets success. So when we do well at one piece of change, we have the confidence to try the next thing and to push ourselves and to keep moving forward as a body of people. So I think that's a really important part. And then there's the uh, the corollary to that, which is around the mechanical pieces. Once I've gone through change, I've got data. I now understand about how we change, the rate we change, uh, the kind of scale we change, the cost of change. And being able to factor that into the planning for the next cycle means that I'm more likely to be successful on that next cycle and I can refine it. And through the combination there around that sort of mindset and the mechanical sides, uh, I can really move things forward and make it a, uh, an ever improving cycle. There's also one other thing just around there uh, on scale, and we've touched on that before. I think as you get into the habit of doing change and succeeding at change, you get into the realms of doing uh, it more often, but in a less disruptive way. It becomes just part of the fabric of how you do things. Well, of course, why would we stay static? There's an opportunity here. Let's try it. And that can be a really energising way to uh, to operate as an organisation. Yeah, I think you're absolutely spot on, Rich. I think change is, is never ending. Um, and you often find when we talk about these um, hidden benefits that clients say, well, if, if they're hidden, how do we measure them? You know, how can you measure how mindset changes through a change programme? How do you assess the behaviours? Um, and it, it can actually be dead easy to just put um, a behavioural assessment in place throughout each stage within a change and also when a change being complete to say, OK, we've got these X behaviours within our organisation that we know we want to be part and almost at the heart of what we do and how we do it. And you can assess the, the level of commitment and adoption and, and understanding across those behaviours in order to make sure that that is a continuous cycle and that the cultural change is being embedded as change continues to evolve. Um, and it's one of the sort of the key questions that we often get. How do you measure things like that? Actually, it's breaking it down. What what do you want to achieve out of the culture and how things get done around here? And what do good behaviours look like? And then how do you start to measure that in the things you're already doing and the things you're going to do uh, in the future as well? That measurement point's a really interesting one. I come across this uh, all the time with the, but how do we measure that? And, and there's a, a chap called um, Douglas Harvard who's got a, an interesting book around how to measure anything uh, it's well worth reading get the chance or watching him on some, um, some videos but the the fundamental point to me comes back to what is the the thing you're measuring why are you trying to measure it if what we're trying to measure is are we a 93.1 or a 93.2 on this scale you've missed the point if it's are we able to achieve that thing or is this better than that well actually now that's a far more interesting conversation so being able to do that sort of having that rich understanding about what the the change is trying to achieve and then being able to decompose it into a thing that you can measure in a meaningful way absolutely priceless i was like to come back to the individual which obviously then multiplies amongst all the individuals in your organization you know if they feel satisfied empowered um, involved 
and it's something that, that stays. It doesn't disappear once the change is complete. I know we've talked about it being iterative and changes something that goes on, but if you think of it as a specific project or program, it doesn't just then go. It's something you've ingrained in their, their culture and that culture grows along with the, the business. Um, you've all touched on some really, really interesting benefits in there as well. So um, there's clearly loads more that we could talk about here, but I'm afraid we're probably gonna have to call it there. So uh, I just wanted to say a huge thank you first to you guys. So to Emily, Kelly and Rich for making the time to, to join us today. Uh, if any of our listeners do have any questions for any of our speakers, you can always get in touch with us via our contact us page or just by leaving us a voice message on the podcast itself on whichever forum you're listening. Uh, we'll always have to have a conversation and we'll ensure that you receive a timely clear response. Uh, just a final reminder to keep your eyes and ears peeled for the next episode of Technically Minded, which will be released mid-April. A huge thank you for our listeners for joining the conversation today. Take care and we uh, look forward to again.